All right, let's, uh, let's go ahead and get started this morning. Um, I'll get started, computer will catch up eventually, maybe. If it doesn't, I've taught in a lot worse conditions than this, so we'll, we'll do it. And You know, you guys are really going to have to stop drinking because your faces are getting blurred. This, this surgery Tuesday, nothing's quite focused yet. So I see blurs out there on the back. I don't, I'm not going there, Galen. <laughs> I look like a setup. Okay. If, uh, well, hey, that's better. <laughs> yeah, it should be. But So if, if you see me doing this, it's because my... Distance vision is supposed to be better, but my near vision is not. And so this could be real fun. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, if I don't get a glare from the outside, we'll be okay. Uh, anyway, if you would open your Bibles to Ephesians 5th chapter and 27th verse, Ephesians 5:27. It's still restarting, um, Seth. It'll take me a minute to, to do it. Um, the, um, we're studying divine institutions, and the divine institutions have been the, the major focus of attack. As you look at the attack of the evil one around the world, you ask, what's he really going after? Because it appears to be utter chaos, and yet it is, not, it, it is utter chaos, but it is not without direction and motivation. He knows exactly what he's after. And he is going after it. We know the four divine institutions that we've cla- as we've classified them. The first one is volition. With volition, keep in mind, comes responsibility to use that volition uh, properly. Then we have the husband-wife relationship, which is marriage. We have the family relationship, which is the outgrowth of the marriage relationship. And then we have a nation, which is another outgrowth of that. And we're going to see some passages in the Olivet Discourse where it's going to be divine institution fighting divine institution throughout the tribulation and also before because it's called the beginning of birth pangs. So we're going to be taking uh, a look at this. And um, before we we begin, let's take a few moments for prayer, uh, present ourselves to the throne of grace, ask that the Holy Spirit would indeed be our teacher. Uh, we need to always ask, Lord, let me understand what's, what's coming out. Uh, let me be able to remember it. And the, we need to really remember that prayer the older we get. And then wisdom. We need to know how to use it. How then should we live? Because he's called us to stand in the gap. There's a, there's a gap between, that, that obviously between um, uh, God and man, and, and that gap is broken by salvation. But what we have, we're called to, to stand against the evil one. That's the, clearly throughout Scripture what we're called to do. So let us be prepared and let us pray for wisdom, how to use this. Let us go into the throne of grace and ask for it. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, once again, we're so amazingly blessed just to be a part of your family. Father, to be able to come into your throne room in times of need and and stress and opportunities. Father, what a great privilege that is. 
And Father, we do thank you for it. I pray that while we're in your throne room today, Father, that the Holy Spirit will be our real teacher, that we will be able to understand your word, that we will be able to remember it, and Father, that we can use it wisely in this time in which we live. So Father, we pray that you'll be with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I mentioned this uh, article, uh, I don't know, several weeks back about how would the uh, communists take over the United States. And one of the reasons, I mean, I'm not going to read the whole thing. It was 45 ways, and it was, this was written in a book called The Naked Communist by Cleon Skousen in 1963. It was entered into the congressional record because it was how would the communists take it over. Now, why is that important? Because we're not here to talk politics, but we are here to talk worldviews. Communism is not just a political system, it is a worldview, it's an atheistic worldview. It's a worldview whereby the government actually takes the place of God. So whenever they have an objective, you ask, how do they plan to take the place of God? 45 things written in 1963, I'm not going to read them all, but uh, some of them says develop the illusion the total disarmament of the U.S. would be a demonstration of real moral strength. Permit free trade between all nations regardless of communist affiliation and regardless of whether or not the material can be used for war. Provide American aid to all nations regardless of communist domination. Grant recognition of Red China and mission of Red China to the U.N., which happened under Jimmy Carter's administration in the late 70s. Promote the UN as the only hope for mankind. See, that's a one-world government globalist type of system. Resist any attempt to outlaw the Communist Party. Do away with loyalty oaths. Now, that basically was aimed at doing away with loyalty oaths to corporations that many people were required to sign in order to work for them, but it's going to extend anywhere else. Can, Capture one or both of the political parties in the United States. This is the playbook for a communist takeover of the United States. Use technical decisions of the courts to weaken basic American institutions by claiming their, their activities violate civil rights. Get control of the schools. Use them as transmission belts for socialism and current communist propaganda. Soften the curriculum. Get control of teachers association and put the party line into the textbooks. Use student riots to foment public protest against programs or organizations that are under communist attack. Infiltrate the press. Gain control of key positions in radio, television, and motion pictures. Continue discrediting American culture by degrading all forms of artistic expression. Eliminate every, all the good sculptor from parks and buildings, substituting shapeless, awkward, and meaningless forms in their place. Eliminate all laws concerning obscenity by calling them censorship and a violation of free speech and a free press. Break down cultural standards of morality by promoting pornography and obscenity in books, magazines, motion pictures, radio, and television. Present homosexuality, degeneracy, and promiscuity as normal, natural, and healthy. Infiltrate the churches and replace revealed religion with social religion. 
discredit the Bible and emphasize the need for intellectual maturity, which does not need a religious crutch. I don't know if you've talked to any uh, atheist uh, somewhere along the way, but most of, of them will tell you, well, if I had to lean on a God, I'd be weak. I, I ran into that in 1968, selling Bible books door to door in North Carolina. And I ran into my first atheist back then, and he just told me, he said, I'd be weak if I believed in God. So this has been going on a, a long time. Eliminate prayer or any phase of religious expression in the schools on the ground that violates the principle of separation of church and state. Discredit the American Constitution by calling it inadequate, old-fashioned, out of step with modern needs, and a hindrance to cooperation between nations on a worldwide basis. Discredit the American founding fathers, present them as selfish aristocrats who had no concern for the common man. Support any socialist movement to give centralized control over any part of the culture, whether it be education, social agencies, welfare programs, mental health clinics, and on. Eliminate all laws or procedures that interfere with the operation of the communist apparatus. Discredit and eventually dismantle the FBI. Infiltrate and gain control of more unions. Infiltrate and gain control of more big businesses. Transfer some of the powers of arrest from the police to social agencies. Treat all behavioral problems as psychiatric disorders which no one but psychiatrists can understand or treat. Discredit the family as an institution. Encourage promiscuity and easy divorce. Emphasize the need to raise children away from the negative influence of parents. Attribute prejudices, mental blocks, and retarding of children to suppressive influence of parents. Create the impression that violence and insurrection are legitimate aspects of the American tradition the students and special interest groups should rise up and make a united voice to solve economic, political, or social problems. Now, does that, any of that sound familiar? Where do you think it's coming from? Well, communism comes right out of Satan, who argues that there is no God while trying to proclaim himself to be a God. So that's exactly what he tries to do. He goes after your ability to choose and the responsibility for it by saying you're a product of your environment. Okay, so if we could just fix the environment, does that sound familiar? If we could just fix the environment, people would always make the right decisions. I don't think so. Where there is no justice for crimes committed, there's problems. That's the way it is. And so <clears throat> this is taught. These are principles. These are part of the divine institution. We would know them also as laws of divine establishment, basic laws that the Lord God Almighty established so that societies can function uh, correctly and function honorably toward one another. See, we don't get the right to make our own standards of ethics. God has established those for us. And that's what these divine institutions are about. So what has been going on? There has been an attack. See, that was written in 1963. They've been working on it a long time, and we've been asleep for a long time. So suddenly it rises up over the course of the last year or so. 
and it becomes, they see it as an opportunity to impose this agenda on the entirety of the United States. And so, anyway, that's my political speech for today, but it is also about worldview, because a communist worldview is not a Christian worldview. They are diametrically opposed to each other. They are at odds with one another. So when we are learning about the divine institutions, these things are important. These are things that we need to try and live and we need to try and teach and model to all those around us. Now, we are at Ephesians 5.26, and this thing says, getting windows ready, don't turn off your computer. So while it's doing that, we're going to move on, and uh, you may have to pay closer attention. We started this in 525, which says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. Namely, he gave himself up for her. Why? First purpose, that he might sanctify her. So he set her apart, having cleansed her by the washing of the water by a spoken word. He made a decree, said this is the way it's going to be. You drink of this living water and you'll live forever. It's taught in John chapter 4 to the woman at the well. And here it is that, that Paul has picked it up uh, later on. The woman at this about 30 years later when this is inspired to be written. And what spoken word? Well, when, when the Lord issues a decree and says, this is what, you do this, this is going to happen. That's the spoken word. And it, it came out. It's not the, the name it and claim it type of thing where we can somehow speak things into existence because we lack the power to do that. But when our Lord speaks and he says this is the way it's going to be, that's the way it is. Verse 27 says that he might present to himself. This is the second intention for us. See the first one? To sanctify her, this bride. The second intention that he might present to himself. Now, I love little words like this that just give you some insight into things. Henna introduces the purpose clause. Subjunctive goes with the henna plus the subjunctives of purpose. But the word is par estami. Now, estami means to stand. And para means alongside. To stand alongside. So, what do we get to do one of these days? Huh? Stand alongside the Lord. What does a bride and groom do? Stand alongside. And that's what he's talking about. So when a man and woman come together to be married and they're standing alongside each other, they are to be representative of what Christ is to the church. That he might present to himself the church. Now, who is the church? It's everybody who has believed in Jesus Christ as their Savior from the day of Pentecost until the rapture. It's a unique time of history. It's a parenthesis in the line of history because the age of Israel's got seven years left to, to be done. And so the church is to present the church in all her glory. It says her glory is not there. It's not in the Greek. It says... Simply to present to himself glory, the church. That's what the Greek literally says. To present to himself glory, and that glory is the church, having no spot. Now, spot is the word spilos, S-P-I-L-O-S. It's only used twice. 
It's found in 2 Peter 2.13 as a moral blemish that's caused by lascivious or riotous living. That's how the lexicons define this word, a, a spilas. I guess it means you spill something on it. Okay? Brought about by lascivious or riotous living. Having no spot or wrinkle. Won't that be nice? This is the word futis. P-H-U-T-I-S. I only used once. And it's a word that means to draw together. Now, have you ever heard Jesus called your wrinkle remover? That's what this word is. Okay, somebody's probably got a cosmetic out there now called Jesus, the wrinkle remover. Uh, I don't want to give anybody any ideas to do something like that. But Jesus is our wrinkle remover. So we as part of the bride of Christ, when we stand beside him, we're not going to have any wrinkles. Why? Because he's taken them all away. It says, are any such thing, any of those spots or wrinkles or anything else you want to say that doesn't, that you don't like, doesn't look pretty or whatever, but that she should be hagias holy. She should be holy and blameless. Blameless is amomas, A-M-O-M-O-S. It, when you see me transliterate words and there's a W in the middle of these words, that's for an omega. That's the long O in the Greek. And that's why it's not just me misspelling words. That's what it's designed to do. When you see an O, it's for the omicron that is found in the Greek. But the W is the omega that is there. So that she should be holy and blameless. That word used nine times. And it means without spot or without any blemish. So verse 27, that he might present to himself glory, the church, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. Now the Lord's intention in setting us apart is so he could have a beautiful and perfect bride. That's what he sanctified us for. He called us out. Ephesians 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now how many blessings did he give us? Every spiritual blessing in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now see, that's what, that's what he wants. Colossians 1, 21, And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. That's a word that means no valid charges of wrongdoing. That's what that word particularly emphasizes. If indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established, and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard, which was reclaimed in all creation under heaven. In Jude 24 and 25, last Sunday we did a benediction. Uh, we'll probably do another benediction today. Here's Jude 24. It's a little early in case I forget it at the end because things that are new sometimes get forgotten at the end of Bible class, but now to him who is able to keep you. you. Remember hearing this one? To keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory. 
blameless with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Christ Jesus our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And Jude said, Amen. Indeed. It took the holy lamb without blemish. How could someone blemished make us without blemish? Well, in a spiritual sense. It took the holy lamb without blemish to pay the price for sins. So all the spots and wrinkles can be removed. That's what it took. Hebrews 9. See, these, these, this is the scripture telling us what this means. Verse 13. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a red heifer sprinkling, those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, through, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, will he cleanse you from dead works? To serve the living God. That's what he did. It was a lamb that was required to be observed. And that lamb was required to be without blemish. Taught under the Mosaic law. How about 1 Peter 1.17. If you address his father the one who impartially judges. According to each man's work conduct yourselves in fear. During the time of your stay on earth. Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold. From your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers. But with precious blood. As of a lamb unblemished and spotless the blood of Christ. For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. That's the church. Who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. So your faith and your hope are in God. It took the Holy Lamb to be able to get rid of our spots and blemishes and wrinkles and everything else. The Lord removes our moral blemishes. That's what the word spots is all about. The spilas. And he wants us to stay clean. To receive more blessings. Now here's Revelation. You know the Bible's practical you know, we are, we are saved from the moment we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but sometimes we get our clothes dirty. Revelation chapter 3, letter to the church at Sardis. He says, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says, I know your deeds. You have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. This really kind of pictures the Reformation period of the church. Because they had some things that were good and new. But what they tried to do is reform Roman Catholicism. Instead of going in another direction. That's what the original reformers did. And that was a problem. Because in a lot of ways they were spiritually, uh, they were operationally dead. They were believers. They were saved. No question about that. So he says, wake up. Strengthen the things that remain. What was that? Sola Christos, the sufficiency of Christ. Sola Fide, the sufficiency of faith. Sola Gratia, sufficiency of grace. Sola Scriptura, the sufficiency of Scripture. Strengthen the things that remain, which is what they did. Which were about to die. Because I've not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. Remember therefore what you have received and heard. Keep it. Repent. If therefore you will not wake up, I'll come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I will come upon you. You have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. 
and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall thus be clothed in white garments. I will not erase his name from the book of life. I'll confess his name before my father and before his angels. So he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So the Lord takes these spots off to present to himself what? A bride. A bride in glory. No spot or wrinkle or any such thing. I've heard it said that only Jesus will have scars in eternity. The scars in his hands. How do we know that? Because that's how he appeared to the disciples. With the scars in his hand and the piercing in his side. He did. But the rest of us, all those little things you look at in the mirror and go, I wish I could fix that. And I can't fix that. It's all going to be fixed. Now, are we going to walk by hope? <laughs> Faith and hope? Or are we going to play the game of the world? Have our eyes fixed on the world? He wants us ready to meet him when he returns to get us. John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me, because in my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it weren't so, I would have told you, but I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's the first inference of the rapture that we find to the disciples. Now that's important because we're studying Olivet Discourse second session. And when we go through the Olivet Discourse, there's people keep trying to read the rapture into that. It's about the second advent. Now they're only separated by seven years, so there's some inferences, but the specific prophecies that of specific events connect into the tribulation. We have to keep those separate. That's, that's so important. What if a, what if a uh, uh, rock fell out of heaven right now and uh, caused some turmoil around the earth? Would that be the fulfillment of the prophecies? Uh, the second trumpet of Revelation 8? And you go, no. How do you go, no, it wouldn't be. It's wrong. You're still here. If it happens while you're here, it's not the fulfillment. It might be a warm-up. It might be the beginning of birth pangs. But it is not the fulfillment of the prophecy. Husbands have the responsibility to love their wives in such a manner as to get them both ready for the marriage of the Lamb. And you can read about that. I'm not going to take time to do it. Revelation 19. Oh, you know the church is there in Revelation 2 and 3. And then when we get to... Uh, Revelation 4.1, a door standing open in heaven. You don't hear the church again or even see the church again until Revelation 19. That's part of what tells us the church is gone. John was the picture of the rapture, a door standing open in heaven. We get to stand in front of the Lord. There'll be the judgment seat of Christ at some point. Don't know the timing exactly, just after, after the resurrection of the dead, after the rapture itself. Where will we be? Well, we will, we will have a new body then. We're not going to get this new body until then. But it says to be absent from the bodies, to be home from the Lord. So what it does tell me is when this, this body draws its last breath, or if the trumpet sounds, either one, I'll be in the presence of the Lord. I won't have any concept of anything else. That's where I'll be. Now that's really helpful. 
It's really helpful uh, if you know someone is getting ready to pass. If you're getting ready to pass, that's really helpful to know you're going to spend eternity with the Lord as a believer in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. A, re a relationship with Him, the Lamb, is required for this special holiness. And men are called to lead. Now this is the divine institution. In such a manner that the bride of Christ is adorned. Now how is the bride adorned? Well, Revelation 21. Where do works fit in to the theology of the Christian life? Revelation 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and earth passed away. And there's no longer any sea. I guess if you're a seafarer, you think, how could it be heaven if there's no sea? But I think you'll be well entertained for the rest of eternity. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, what is the adornment of the bride? It's the righteous acts of the saints. We're saved by grace through faith. That's what we are. As we received him, so we are to walk in him. Walk by grace through faith. That's how we are supposed to walk. And then what? why are we saved by grace through faith? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says that. Ephesians 2, 10 though says, You were made for good works, which God designed for you before the foundation of the world. That we should walk in them. So works don't get totally left out of the picture of the Christian life. You work because you have been saved. You don't work to get saved. You don't work to keep saved. You are saved by grace through faith. You're in the hand of God. And John 10 says there's no power anywhere that can take you out of his hand. Romans 8, says, Romans 8 35 to 38 says the same thing. Nothing can separate us believers from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's about as clear as you can say it. We are there. We're called to live in our generation as one cleansed by his righteousness. This Philippians passage, if you're about to fall asleep, turn to Philippians 2. And... Uh, <laughs> been reading a lot of passages and sometimes people well that's boring and then I see an ad on TV for uh, I think it's pray.com or something like that and I, I, I think I understand what they're trying to do they want you to get it and somebody's reading it and says it'll help you go to sleep at night you heard that ad <laughs> I'm going, hold it <laughs> time out if the Bible's putting you to sleep, maybe you're using it for the wrong thing. <laughs> it's kind of like if a little kid gets in trouble, I'm not sure you want to force them to read the Bible. Because they associate the Bible with discipline, see, instead of things that are, that are good. I'm not sure if that's what you want them to do. Philippians 2.12, So then, my beloved, as you have always, just as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Work out is literally work according to your salvation with fear and trembling. Preposition there is kata, it is not ek. Work out of would mean to figure out how to save yourself, which 
denies every other part of scripture. But it's not even the preposition X, the preposition kata, which is a word that means according to your salvation. You're going to do works, make them according to your salvation. What's that? By grace through faith. I want to do the right thing because it's pleasing to the Lord. It's my ambition to do what is pleasing in his eyes. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Don't you love that verse? How many people have that on their refrigerator? Maybe it wouldn't be a bad idea. <laughs> Why? That you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. Do it without grumbling or disputing. Children of God above reproach in the middle of a crooked and perverted generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. Holding fast the word of life. So that in the day of Christ, I may have caused a glory because I didn't run in vain or toil in, in vain. Here, what a passage this is that, that Paul writes. This Philippians 2 has got some of the most profound information in all of the Bible because it's about Jesus emptying himself. Basically about him changing clothes and taking on the form of a bondservant. That's who he is. That's what, what he did. And he came to redeem us. And he says, how then shall we live? Okay. Did Jesus grumble and complain about going to, going to the cross? The answer is no. What did he do? Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He wasn't complaining. He said, nevertheless, let, my, let your will be done. He knew what he was getting ready to face. For him to have, have uh, approached that arrogantly would not have been really human. To go into knowing what he's going to face on the cross. He knew it better than any of us ever would. Now, <clears throat> holding fast the word of life. Now, I, I have a question. How much grace does he display on our spots and wrinkles? A whole lot, right? Or we wouldn't be in heaven for eternity. Now, husbands, love your wife just as Christ loved the church. How much grace should a husband display to his wife? That's a tall order, isn't it? But instead, what we find in this generation and all over the world are men who are doing battle with narcissism. And they're going to be the leader, ruler, operator of the house, not using their authority as a servant, which is what we're called to do, but using it as a dictator. And there is a big difference. The Bible makes big distinctions between those things. Not lording it over those allotted to your charge. Pastors have authority, but they're not to use it to lord it over those allotted to, to your charge. Now, Christ's purpose is to get us prepared. <coughs> prepared is the word that goes in that slot there. See, this still says, getting windows ready, do not turn off your computer. So, um, I hope it gets ready by next week. Uh, <coughs> Christ's purpose is to get us prepared for the holy wedding. And yet, wasn't there a royal wedding not too long ago? You know how, what a big deal they make out of those royal weddings? And they call them the royals. Well, I'm a royal. And so are you as a believer. This holy wedding is a royal wedding. And that's between the church 
and the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Now verse 28 <coughs> says, So husbands ought. This word a fellow is an obligation word. It's a word of obligation. It's very clearly. This word ought is, see the Bible says ought. Sometimes we say ought, and maybe we shouldn't say ought, because maybe we don't have the authority to say ought. But he sure says it here because he's got the authority. Husbands have an obligation also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves agapao, his own wife, loves agapao himself. See, <clears throat> to truly love yourself, you love your wife, is what a husband should do for a wife. So men need to become as selfless as they are selfish. Men have that tendency. Not saying women don't. Equal treatment, I guess. Not saying they don't, but, but men usually have a little bigger problem with it. Many men pay more attention to other people than their own wife. That really shouldn't happen. That really shouldn't happen. They often pay more attention to other people other than their own wife. <clears throat> but the wife should be given priority in her husband's life. That's what should happen. The husband's normal lifestyle should be to show love for his wife. And you know what happens in this society when a husband truly loves his wife? That's abnormal. And what has just happened? What is, what is communism want to tear down? Husband and wife, marriage relationships, family relationships. It's their stated policy from a long time ago. And it's still their stated policy today by some of the communist organizations. That's what they want to do. Why? Because when you have an immoral society, it's easy for it to be taken over by another worldview. Since the two are one, the husband is to love him must love his wife to love himself correctly. Now, oftentimes, men just love themselves, but incorrectly. So for a man to love himself correctly, then he needs to uh, love his wife as well. The marriage relationship is a battleground. Hello. <laughs> I started to change the wording on that one. I thought, no. It's a battleground. Where peace is won by a loving attitude in the soul. See, it's not a battleground not designed to be against one another. <laughs> That's where the problem comes in. Your marriage is a battleground against the world. That's where the battleground is. Husband and wife need to see that that's exactly where the battle is raging. Ephesians 6.12, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the world forces of darkness in the heavenly places. It's a worldview. It's a worldview that says it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean anything. It's not important anymore. And by the way, there's no God, so it doesn't matter. That's a communist attack, a devilish attack. Because that's exactly what it is. Those words are right out of the mouth of the devil. The principle is that valid self-love is based on how much love one shows to other people. Valid self-love. And some people say, well, I'm not supposed to love myself at all. I beg to differ with that. James chapter 2, verse 8, the royal law. You shall love your neighbors yourself. If you don't love yourself, you can't love your neighbor. 
You have to have a valid love of self. But this love of self, the royal law, it's how much love you show to other people. We, uh, uh, part of what we do in seminary is we do word studies. And we get assigned word studies. We got assigned word studies. And of course we ended up with the word agapao and agape, the Greek, main Greek word for love. And when you track it down, it's used about 120 times in the New Testament, so it's a major topic. And you go through all the passages that deal with love, and you find out sometimes it's the wrong object. But the issue of love, uh, about 115, if I remember right, out of 120 times it's used, denotes an action. And sometimes people think it's just an attitude. Well, love is indeed an attitude, but it also includes an action that goes along with it. Love is kind. I'm just going to think kind thoughts and never do anything kind for my wife or my neighbor. I'm not going to do anything kind for them. But I'm just going to think myself loving, but love is kind. Love is gentle. Gentle is power under control. That's what gentle is. It is the, the gentleness that the Almighty has to design and make a flower. Power under control. Doesn't mean weakness. We used to know that. We used to call men gentlemen. If they, it didn't mean that they were weaklings. It didn't mean that they were effeminate. Because the Bible says men should not be effeminate. It didn't mean that. What it meant was that they were men of honor. They were men of character. They were men of power and authority. But they had it under control. That's what a gentleman was known to be. Is kind. Gentle. Doesn't brag. Doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. Why? Because that's an individual that is powerful enough to... Leave it in the hands of the Lord who says, revenge is mine, I will take care of that. And we think about those qualities of love and everywhere you find them. That's how many times it's used, but it's described even more than that. Romans 12, 9, the love literally is without hypocrisy. And then it goes on to explain different relationships. Love is, a, is an action. The attitude's where it needs to start. But even if the attitude is wrong, I've heard people say, well, I couldn't do that. I don't want to be a hypocrite. Once you do the right thing and work on changing your attitude, they, well, I just, I don't, uh, no, I don't want to do that. Well, that's display more of narcissism, doing the wrong thing because you think you're more important than God. That's not the way it's designed to be. Now, <clears throat> valid self-love is based on how much love one shows to other people. That's what it's designed to do. So, <clears throat> anyway, I guess I've run out of time. I killed five minutes earlier. All right, so I'm going to do two more verses in five minutes. Verse 29, no one ever hated his own flesh. See, this is a, <laughs> this is a phrase that indicates normality. Some people do, but no one ever hated his own flesh. See, we kind of like this, this body we're connected to at times. 
Okay, at least we're still connected to it. So we'll hang on to it at all costs. He says, but nourishes and cherishes it. This word nourish is ektrepho. It's only used twice. It's used in Ephesians 6.4. And it means to feed a baby out of babyhood. Trepho is a baby, ek is out of. So feed a baby out of babyhood. In other words, to bring up. We used to say to, to rear them in the way that they should go. That's the word nourish. Okay? <clears throat> and cherishes is thalpo, also used only twice, 1 Thessalonians 2.7. And it means to, to heat or to soften by heat, uh, to keep warm like birds covering their young with feathers or as a nurse for children. So it says basically that when we're real cold, we'll get warm, right? Nobody ever hated his own flesh. He says, just as Christ also does the church. Does he nourish us? Sometimes we're too foolish to eat. How does he nourish us? With wonderful television shows that, that try to make us think that volition, responsibility, marriage, family, nation are no good. How does Christ loves the church. It's provided. The truth is provided. As Christ also does the church. Verse 30, because we are and I, I just love passages like this. This is a present active indicative of I me. This is a to be verb. It's not that we will be members of his body. What it says is we are. Presently. Right now. Present tense. Active voice says it's a, it's a along with the indicative, it's a historical fact. We are members of his body. So his statement about a physical truth, no one ever harm, want to harm their own body, should be applied in a spiritual way. Our spots and wrinkles are still ours in this body, even if we don't like them. But the intake of spiritual food lets us grow out of babyhood. Part of this growth is putting away the things of childhood. 1 Corinthians 13, 11. One of those great verses of Paul's and that, chapter on love. When I was a child, I used to think as a child, reason as a child, act as a child. But when I became a man, he says, I put away with childish things. And we got a whole lot of men today that are still living like they were in high school. And they should be well beyond that. Just as we cover our body to get warm, a husband's warmth should be shared with his wife. Doesn't that make sense? Isn't that what the Lord does with us? He'll share his warmth with us, right? If we want it. If you're in his hand, wouldn't you like to feel the warmth of it? Well, you say, well, I've never felt the warmth of it. Pray about it. Because you'll know, you'll know he's there. You're, all you're saying is, Lord, let me know you're here. Let me know you're here. Because he will, if you keep your eyes open and stay awake. Marriage is not designed to be a cold relationship where the activities of love are merely functions of personal greatness. Matthew 24 in the Sermon on the Mount, because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. 
a time during the tribulation, but also a time of the increase of birth pangs when people's love will grow cold. I remember there used to be hitchhikers, military, put on their uniform, stand out on the road and give, you know, put their thumb out and they get a ride anywhere. Used to be, that used to be a common form of transportation if you didn't have a way to get around. Other than that was hitchhiking. Now, how many people would pick up a hitchhiker today? Why? Lawlessness is increased. Huh. Kind of makes it scary. Makes it a whole different picture. I know one guy used to pick up every hitchhiker, but he was a deputy sheriff. And he took out his three fifty seven and he had it right there where he could get hold of it. He told the hitchhikers, you can go as far as you want to go, but you're going to have to keep your hands on that dashboard. Don't move them. <laughs> I don't know how many he ever, he ever took very far. But uh, anyway, the prime example of love is our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. We're part of his bride. He provides for us and he warms us. And these words, notice, are far from impersonal terms. I've heard people say, well, agape love is an impersonal love. You simply do what's right and best even when you don't feel like it. There's an element of truth to that. But it doesn't say that that's how we are to love our wife in a cold, impersonal way. It doesn't say that that's how, what our relationships are going to be like. That the people we are in contact with, we're just supposed to love them in a cold, impersonal way. And that's not it at all. Our Lord desires a reciprocal relationship with us. If we feel far away from the Lord, whose fault is that? Because it's not His. He invites us. The universal church is Christ's body, thus we should nourish and cherish it as well. But it begins at home. That's where it starts. I think one application we can clearly make from this, this is an application that's been misdone the world over a wife is never to be regarded as a piece of property but as an extension of one's own self as a husband never as a piece of property and yet for too many times too, in too many places in the world women have been considered pieces of property and that's not the way that we have just seen from this passage about the closeness between a husband and wife there is nothing in there to remotely imply that. The principle is the Lord set the example of the royal law. The Lord set the example of the royal law to love your neighbors yourself. He loved himself perfectly, didn't he? And he shared that with us. And that's what we're called to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this day, for your mercy and love and grace and for all your, your goodness. Thank you for your divine institutions. Thank you for giving us standards that we can learn and grow by. Thank you for letting us be able to identify the difference between truth and error. And Father, I pray that we will stand firm against the schemes of the devil because we know that he is set out to destroy everything that you have made. Father, let us be found to be doing what you would call us to do when, when it's time for us to go home. We thank you and give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.